to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We're reading this in light of what Paul admonishes us to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 9b. This is our text. And there the apostle writes, Hate what is evil. Last time we saw love must be sincere. This time we see hate what is evil. And to that end, we're going to read from 2 Peter 2. Hear the Word of God. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the ways of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we are entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Thus for the reading of God's holy word. Again, our text is the words from Romans 12, 9b, Hate what is evil. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have before us a rather challenging word from the Lord this morning, particularly as we consider that first word of our text, the word hate. That is a word that makes us uncomfortable, and rightly so. In Romans, or rather in Proverbs 10, verse 12, we read, Hatred stirs up dissension but love covers all wrongs. That's a much preferable approach to life, I think, that we would all want to take. Hate stirs up dissension. Hate is a negative emotion. It is an experience that brings pain. It is something that we want to avoid. We certainly want to avoid it in part because we live in a society that so desperately wants to avoid it. We live in a culture where there is tolerance for everything. And now tolerance, not in the classic sense of the word. There is a classic tolerance, a tolerance that is very consistent with the Christian perspective and worldview, a tolerance that says, I acknowledge you, I value you, I respect you as an image bearer of God, even though I very much disagree with you. That used to be the character of tolerance in Western civilization. It allowed for people to have very passionate views, very different and distinct views, to be in positions on politics or economy or philosophy in very different camps, and yet look at each other and extend to each other the right hand of fellowship, saying, even though I know you're wrong, I still value you, I still honor you, I still protect and preserve you. That was classic tolerance. Modern tolerance is very different. Modern tolerance doesn't allow people to disagree. Our government has taught us that. It's passed laws that not only require that you not hate, that is, that you not give expression to negative thoughts, but that you must feel positively towards these people. Our government legislates morality on this point. Indeed, they are striving to increase their reach in this respect, wanting to take control of the Internet so that anything that is hate speech, and that's the term that they use, will be condemned and shut down and prevented from having any place within our society. And it sounds, of course, so appealing. It sounds so good. Who wants to promote hate speech? But, of course, our government's view of hate speech and our view of hate speech are very different things, which, of course, is also one of the challenges, isn't it, for us on this topic? That when it comes to thinking about hate as Christians, we have a certain sensitivity to this topic precisely because we are regularly accused of cruelty, of bad things, of hating in inappropriate ways. People refer back to the Old Testament and to the God of the Old Testament. They talk about how He destroyed so many people so cruelly and so mercilessly. Women, children, everyone was to be destroyed in the land of Canaan. They point to passages like Psalm 137 where babies are being dashed against the stones and this sort of thing as proof that there is a rage, there is an inappropriate anger, there's an uncomfortable hate 
that is promoted by the God of the Old Testament. Sometimes that's why we rush to suggest that the New Testament's a new era. The New Testament's a place of love. In the New Testament, Jesus says that we are to love our enemies and we are to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give him our cloak, these sorts of things. We are to heap burning coals upon our enemies. The New Testament, we're told, is a place full of love. And it certainly is. Even as the Old Testament is. For the story of redemption from beginning to end is the story of God and the story of His love. The story of His power to redeem. The story of His mercy and His grace. Of His goodness to an undeserving people. We want to make sure that the world understands the message of the Bible is not one of hate, but one of love. And that even in attempting to maintain that message, we find ourselves having to turn our back on certain aspects of the Bible. We tell ourselves that we can do this because the Old Testament's a time that is now fulfilled. We don't live in that time anymore and we don't need to think about those things. But then what do we do with Jesus when He comes to the temple and He casts out the the money changers? What do we do with those passages like we just read from 2 Peter 2? Passages that are very stern in their condemnation, very fulsome in their anger and wrath, their passion against the enemies of God and of His Word. We find ourselves uncomfortable. We find ourselves uneasy with passages such as this. Because we're told the church is the cause of all of this hate and violence and this oppression in our world. The church is the the place where, where crusades came, where misogyny comes, patriarchy's defended, where all of the racism of the slavery of the past age was defended in the light of God's Word. We're told that the church is at fault because we condemn those that are same-sex attracted or those that have sinned in some other way, that, that we are a place where you are not welcome unless you are lily-white and perfect in all that you do. We look down our noses in judgment. We condemn those who do not live the way we do. That's the perspective of our world concerning the church. And so we very much, very quickly want to push back and say, no, no, we're a place of love. We're a place of inclusion. We're a place of welcoming. And we say things like we may hate the sin, but we don't hate the sinner. Which I think is a distinction without a difference. I understand what's trying to be said and I suppose there's something something admirable about it but if you talk to the Mahaffey and French families do you think that they distinguish between what Paul Bernardo did to their daughters and the man himself do you think they hate the sin but not the sinner and what would you say to those people in this world those women in this world that are being cruelly raped by authorities by army soldiers would you say to them hate the sin but not the sinner What do you say to those that live in abusive circumstances? Those who live under the abusive regime of a father that is cruel to them. Do you say hate the sin but not the sinner? It seems like a lovely idea, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Indeed, what we discover, don't we, is that there are very good reasons to hate. Even our world understands that. Because while our world wants to say that we're a place of love and it has no room for hate, surely it hates cancer. Surely it hates poverty. Surely it it hates intolerance. Hasn't that been shown to us also in these past number of weeks by our Prime Minister, a man of sunny ways and happiness? There are things that he hates. 
despite being the champion of all things tolerant. Now, in the end, there are things we hate. Everybody hates something. The question is, what do you hate? No, maybe better than that. The question is, why do you hate? Because truly, there are two reasons to hate. There's a sinful reason to hate, and there's a righteous reason to hate. There is such thing as righteous anger. There is such thing as righteous hate even as there is far more frequently an unrighteous reason to hate. Here we need to be honest with ourselves and with our world. And we need to acknowledge that as a church and as individuals, we have inappropriately and wrongly looked down our noses, been judgmental, condemned, been rude and, and, and harsh towards those that don't deserve it. Whether it is in racism, whether it is in or uh, misogyny rather, whether it is in mistreating women, whether it is in, in the way that we mistreat those in our society around us, there are times when we as individuals and as communities have mistreated, have looked down upon and have harmed those that did not deserve it, who were made in the image of God and deserved our love and respect. And the reason that we so often do these things, that the reason we so often look down at others, hate others inappropriately, is because they offend us. Really, that's that's what's at the heart of a sinful hate, an unrighteous hate. That is the, the vast majority, I think, of the hate that goes on in this world. It's unrighteous. Because it's 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 anger because you offend me. It's really an expression, isn't it, of what the devil tempted us to believe in the garden when he said to us that we should be God, that we could be God if we just followed him. And when we believe that we're gods, when we believe that we are the the highest person, the priority, the, the person of greatest significance in our world, in our marriage, in our family, in our community, when we believe that we stand atop the pyramid, then anyone, anything that comes against us is wrong, always and forever wrong. Children that disagree with us are to be punished for their disrespect. Spouses that do not do what we ask are to be condemned for their failure. Employees or employers that do not satisfy our demands are the worst and worthy of our condemnation. We very quickly condemn others because they do not live up to the expectation that we have. They don't satisfy me. Now I understand it's hard for us to admit that, especially since we pious up our unbiblical hatred all the time we justify our being righteous self-righteous by pointing to the failings of others and we can even reference scripture to do that but at the end of the day truly it is just self-righteousness it is just selfishness i am angry with you because you have offended me because you don't live up to my expectation because you don't do what i think you are We all need to acknowledge that that's a struggle we have. And as we come to the Lord's table today, we need to lay that at the altar. And we need to say, Lord, give me the grace to love. To love those that I have an opposition to, that I struggle with, that that offend me. Help me to crucify my self-righteousness. We need to start there if we're going to understand righteous hatred. Otherwise, we're going to get too confused. But when we put to death that aspect of our character, we discover there is a place for righteous hatred. It is a place that is described for us maybe most clearly in a passage like Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139 is that lovely psalm, isn't it, that talks about our days being numbered, that we cannot go anywhere from the presence of the Lord. That's that psalm that speaks to us of such comfort and grace. We generally, when we read that psalm, don't read all the way to the end because the end is a little uncomfortable. It ends with, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is this. That's lovely language, isn't it? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And that's usually where we stop because this is what follows. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. It's worth noting that both of those things are a response to the same thing. That is, that the, the, the psalmist says, God, examine me, precisely because he hates what is evil. He says, God, I hate it so much, I hate it even in me. So God, give me grace to repent. Open my eyes to see my need. Turn me away from even the offense that's in me. But the reason he can speak even in his own life of hating what is evil is because he loves so desperately and so fully the God who has redeemed him, who watches over him and guides and guards him. In fact, all of Psalm 139 to that point leads up to this very great confession. It is precisely because God is so merciful, so rich in one love, so powerful in his protection, so tender in his mercy, because God has such a care for the psalmist that the psalmist says, God, I love you so much. I love you so deeply. I love you so powerfully that I hate anything that is contrary to you. Now that's a good thing to hate, surely. Surely that's something we can all agree is worthy of hate. In fact, wouldn't we agree that had we hated that in the beginning, we wouldn't be in this mess? That had woman, when she was called by the devil, by the serpent, to eat of the fruit, had she hated that moment? Had she fled from it the way that Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife? Had she seen the sin and been revolted by it? Had she said, no, I will never defy my God. I will never do anything contrary to my Lord. Look at how wonderful he is. Look at how good and gracious he is. You're calling me to defeat, to defy, to disrespect my God? No way, I'm going the other way. Had she hated what was evil then, we wouldn't be in this man. But she didn't, did she? She gave evil a hearing. And she mistreated, she defied her God. So did man after her. And indeed, that's the nature of sin, isn't it? The nature of sin, the nature of of our sin is its rejection of God. It's refusal to acknowledge Him, to value Him, to worship Him, to praise Him. And now surely we can appreciate why it's good to hate that. Just think in your own circumstance, in your own life. Think of the people you love, those closest to you. Think of your child going to school and now coming off the bus one day with a bit of a long face, maybe a tear in their eye, and you ask, what's the matter? And they say, well, there's this bully. There's this kid on the playground. There's this kid on the bus that just makes my life miserable, just constantly seeks to do me harm. 
Can you be neutral in that moment? Can you as a parent say to yourself, well, you know, you've got to live with it, kid. It's, it's no big deal. Or do you not find yourself angry? Do you not find yourself wanting to protect and preserve your child? Do you not find yourself wanting to defend them? Your love for your child has as a consequence an anger, a bothersomeness, a hatred even sometimes against that which would do harm. Think of the church of Jesus Christ. Think of the bride of the Lord. Think of how we are called to love her. Surely if we love the church, if we love God's people, then we will hate all that does harm to her. All the philosophies of this age, all of the immorality of this age, all of the cruelty of this age. We will pray and earnestly earnestly seek the blessing for the church that is persecuted for our brothers and sisters in the world who are being done harm. Then we will say to ourselves, This I hate, that my fellow brothers and sisters should suffer so much. You see, hate is ultimately the echo, the other side of love. When you love something, if you love it with a pure and constant affection, then you hate anything that does its damage. If you love your marriage, then you hate that which threatens it. If you love your children, then you hate those that seek to lead them astray. If you love God, then you hate what is evil. That's why the Apostle says as soon as he's finished writing, love what is good, hate what is evil. These two commands cannot be understood apart from each other, but must be understood in fellowship with each other. Thus, as believers, we have a very good reason to think that hate is a good is a righteous condition for us to hold in a very specific way for a very specific reason. We acknowledge that we have a problem with this. We acknowledge that we tend to hate not because we love God, but because we love ourselves. And that we need to repent of. But there is a place, there is a legitimate place for the believer to speak of hate, of hating what is evil. Now again, the challenge we have is hating that which is evil in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of me. That that second word, that word evil, requires that we orient ourselves fully to the Lord, even in this aspect of our Christian walk. After all, what is evil? The word that Paul here uses is a word that means more than just inconvenient or annoying or bothersome. It is a word that has very specific meaning. It's a religious word. It's a God word. It's a word that God has defined for us. Think about what he says in his letter to, or his prophecy rather, from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 5 at verse 20. There he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. The Lord says that that we are not to define evil in and of ourselves. We are not to be wise in that respect and think that we know and we can determine what is right and what is wrong. Listen, you leaders, he writes through Micah in chapter 3, 
Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pot, like flesh for the pot, then they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. And at that time, He will hide His face from them because of the evil they have done. The Lord does not permit His people to do what is contrary to His will and to His Word. Listen to what He says through His prophet Malachi. You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and He's pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? When you think that what is evil is approved by God, then you weary the Lord. The long and the short of it is these passages demonstrate that the only one who can define what is evil is not we, but Him, our God. Our God who is sovereign, creator of heaven and earth, and the law giver, the one who reveals righteousness and the standard of all that is right. So evil is not what we think is evil. Evil's not what offends us. Evil is not what bothers us, though it should bother us. Evil is anything that contradicts God's standard for righteousness, God's will for our lives. Good is what confirms and embraces the righteousness of God. Evil is anything that rejects Him. And it is in this context and in this way that we are to hate what is evil. That is, we are to hate anything that leads us away from God, anything that contradicts God, anything that maligns God, anything that disregards God. Not only must we love God for His saving grace in Jesus Christ, not only must we stand amazed at how good He is, not only must we come eager to feast upon this meal, but we must stand against anything that would draw us away. Anything that would distract our hearts and minds. Anything that we would prefer above this grace and goodness in Jesus Christ. To do this, we need to know God in His majesty and His glory. To know what is evil, we need to know what is good. And to know what is good, we need to know God. That means that we need to be a people that are constantly in His Word. We are a people that are constantly in worship, studying the Word and will of God. If we're going to avoid the temptation we all struggle with to define evil by our own standard, that's what we do. We hate what we think is evil. We're going to have to listen more carefully and fully to what God is saying. Evil is what God defines. Evil is what rejects Him. So we need to see evil entirely in the light of its relationship with God. Evil separates us from Him. Evil seeks to do us harm instead of blessing. And therefore, we are to hate it. We are to hate it precisely because we love God. And to do that, we must be honest with ourselves. We must be honest with ourselves in this respect, that what is evil in the eyes of God is so often not evil in our sight. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord as we come to the table of the Lord and admit this. That we don't always hate what is evil, not evil in the eyes of God. We live with our respectable sins. We tell ourselves that everybody's doing it, it's no big deal. We tell ourselves that God doesn't mind, He forgives anyway. 
We don't hate what is evil. We need to stop fooling ourselves and telling ourselves that sin isn't as bad as we think it is. We need to start hating that which is contrary in our lives, in our walk, in our word to God. If we find ourselves using foul language, we need to learn to hate that. If we find ourselves pursuing materialism, we need to hate that. If we find ourselves being judgmental, we need to hate that. We need to start in our own hearts and in our own lives, and we need to hate what is evil therein. We need to put to death the old nature and bring to life the new in light of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. He has put to death our sin. We need to live in that reality. He has called us to righteousness. We need to walk in that way. To hate what is evil is to answer the gospel call in thanksgiving and to say, Jesus, I see what you've done. So in your life, what is it that's evil? We all have something. We all struggle with something. Do you hate it? Probably not. That's why the apostle has to admonish us in this way. But let's acknowledge that then. Let's start there by saying, I don't always hate what I should. I too often take pleasure in sin when I shouldn't. I too often embrace and take fire into my lap, even though I know it's going to burn me. Let us learn in our own hearts to hate what is evil. And then let's also learn not to be self-righteous or proud in our response. That is, when we see others that are struggling in evil, when we see others that are under the power of evil, when we see evil all around us, it is easy for us to become self-righteous. It is easy for us to think that we're better. In our condemnation of those things, to do so from the position and the pedestal of our own righteousness. We ought to grieve that there is evil in this world. We ought to grieve because we're responsible for it. We ought to grieve because it's what brought our Lord and Savior to the cross. We ought to grieve because it is what ruined so many lives. We should not be self-righteous or proud when we hate what is evil. It should not be a mark of our distinction, but it must be a response to God's grace in Jesus Christ. And when we hate what is evil... We ought to do so in a way that demonstrates the grace and goodness of our God. After all, God hated evil too. He hated your evil. He hated your sin and your rebelliousness against Him. But what did He do of it? He sent His Son to die on the cross. This is how we can make sense of the New Testament call to be gracious and kind to those that are our enemies. It is not a denial of their being our enemies. It's not a denial of the evil, nor is it a denial of our anger and our hatred of that which is evil. But it is the pattern of the response given to us by God. What did God do for our evil that He hated with a perfect hatred? He sent His Son to die on the cross. He showed grace and mercy. He called us to repentance and faith. He said some very difficult things. Oh yes, He said some very kind things to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to to those like Zacchaeus up in the tree. But He said some pretty hard things to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees and the leaders of the Jews. To those that were broken and that were struggling under the weight of evil, He lifted them up by His grace. To those who were proud and self-righteous, He broke them by His mighty word. We ought to see that there is a way also to hate what is evil that brings us closer to Christ, that draws us closer to the Lord, 
that draws others with us. That we ought to say to those around us that are living in this way of sin, enough. It's a hard thing to do when it's a loved one. It's easy to do when it's the world. When it's our, our neighbors, our co-workers, those that are living in unbelief. What about a child? What about a parent? What about a spouse? When we say to them, you need to do better. You need to be better. What you're doing is wrong and you ought to hate it. I hate it because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's not easy to say that. We tend to think that we can love people into the kingdom of God. We can't. Only Jesus can. And we ought to direct their attention to Him. Indeed, we ought to do so in light of this very command. To hate what is evil. What is it that motivates our mission? What is it that motivates our witness? What is it that motivates our call to the world? Surely it is this, that we know and share with God a hatred for evil. A condemnation that will be swift and severe when it falls upon all of those that defy Him. Think of those examples given in Second Peter 2. Of the flood and of Sodom and Gomorrah when the judgment came in unrelenting swiftness. That ought to motivate us. That ought to drive us. To speak to others and to say to them the things of God and of His Word. To call them to grace and faith in Jesus Christ. When we hate what is evil. When we love what is good. And we desire that all men would join with us. And that they would celebrate with us the grace and goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And so this is a tough word. It is a challenging word. But not challenging because of our culture. Not challenging because our society thinks we're such a terrible group of people. But it's challenging because it demands that we surrender more to the Lord. That we acknowledge Him more fully. And that we live more completely in the grace and goodness of our God in Jesus Christ. There is a way, there is a good way for us to be able to say, hate what is evil. Let's ask the Lord to bless that. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, it is a tough word, it's a hard word. And it's a word that requires good clarification and careful thought. But Lord, having done that, may we join with Paul in hating what is evil beginning with our own hearts and lives. Help us to, Lord, put to death the self-righteousness, put to death the arrogance, put to death the judgmental attitude that we have towards so many. Lord, we can look down our nose at people all around us and slander them and speak ill of them, pretending and piously intoning that we are hating what is evil. But truth be told, Lord, we are hating what opposes us. We pray, Heavenly God and Father, that you would help us to orient so fully towards you in the light of Jesus Christ, in the light of your grace and goodness towards us, in the light of your word and will, that we would hate what opposes you. We would hate what does damage to your people. We would hate what, what seeks to lead your people astray. And that we would do that in our own hearts, first of all. And then that we would help others to do the same directing them to the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, the full and free salvation that is ours there. And so help us, Lord, to live with some very firm categories. Help us to be a people that love what is good, but also hate what is evil. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then turn with me to page 54 in your Forms and Prayers books.